They were married in mourning. Viola's black day dress was simple, as were all her clothes, close fitting in the bodice with bell sleeves and a modest crinoline. Jonah wore black morning dress and a black tie, black crepe tied around his hat. Neither of them had new clothes for the wedding. Viola's dress had been made up so recently that it seemed hardly worth buying a new one for her wedding day, and Jonah hadn't been back from India long enough to order a new suit. The only lightness was Jonah's white shirt and the strand of white pearls that Viola wore around her neck. Strictly, she shouldn't be wearing them whilst in full mourning, but they had belonged to her mother, who had worn them on her wedding day. The locket with her father's hair lay under her dress, out of sight, close to her heart, and Viola's chestnut hair was tucked underneath a black bonnet. Jonah's face was tanned from the Indian sun, but still managed to be pale. His eyes, blue in her memory of summer's past, were grey. Viola felt that her own face was as colourless as the weak spring sunshine. Mrs Chapman stopped them outside the vicarage, before they got into the carriage that would take them to the church. "'Your father wouldn't mind these,' she said to Viola. She held two knots of the violets that grew in the vicarage garden. The housekeeper tucked one knot into the band of Viola's hat, and the other into Jonah's buttonhole. "'There,' she said, standing back. "'You can't marry without flowers.' The words were kind, but the tone was bleak. It's a new beginning for you both, Mrs. Chapman said, and the first and last wish of your father's heart. I know, said Viola, and she pressed the hand of this dear woman who had been with her nearly all her life. She wanted to glance at the face of the man she was about to marry, but she was afraid that when she looked at him, she would see only her father his waxy face, eyes open, mouth open, a bristle of white on his chin, which he had always so carefully shaved every morning as the sun rose, his hair no more than a dishwater wisp. It had nearly all gone at the end. Her father had died six weeks ago, and since then she had seen his dead face. It floated before her when she closed her eyes to sleep, it appeared at the table when she tried to eat, his mouth open to show the missing molar, his tongue a sandpaper sponge. She had washed his body herself, tied the bandage around his head to close his mouth, and his skin had been not cold, but not warm. His skin had been an object. He had ceased to be a person and become an appendage of the bed in which he lay a carving of a naked skeleton which she cleaned as gently as if he were a newborn baby. Viola, said Jonah softly, and she started. He was holding out his hand to her to help her into the carriage. She stared at his black, gloved hand with the sudden conviction that, were she to touch it, the flesh underneath would be as dead as her father's. Thank you, she said and turned away to climb into the carriage without assistance. Jonah followed her and settled beside her, closing the door. In the enclosed space, his clothing rustled and his breath was a soft hush. 
The cloth of his jacket touched the side of her skirt. There was a faint scent of camphor. She heard the driver chirrup the horses and they started off. Without looking, she knew that Jonah was staring straight ahead, as she was, at the wooden opposite wall of the carriage. These same horses had driven her father's body the same route to the Kimmerton church, along the same lane he had walked at least twice a day. A carriage is larger than a coffin. He'd had white lilies, not violets. They weren't going to the Kimmerton church, but to the church in the next parish, and in another hour, this carriage would be driving them back to the vicarage, man and wife. The first and last wish of her father's heart. She couldn't breathe.